start spreading the news. I know, I grabbed the, the whole news. thing and I literally just... <laughs> I'm leaving <dude>. today. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved out and now I'm in Montana. So. There we go. That's so bad. <laughs> yeah, all of us live in like rural Midwestern states now because we've been so traumatized by All we do is talk New about City. the New York rat czar. Thank you for coming to the rat podcast. Now let's move on to something less important. Uh, the Stormlight Archive. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We're highly invested. Uh, sorry for the rat talk. Uh, uh, my name is Richie Green. I'm joined by uh, my favorite people in the world, Betsy Gonder and James Dappert. That's so That's nice. Sweet. Suck it, Kenzie. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, so yeah, we're here. To, we're here to wrap up part one of the Wave Kings. Uh, I can't believe we're already at part one. It's pretty awesome, right? Pretty crazy to think about. It went by quick. Yeah. How many parts are there? Five. A lot, yeah. Okay. But worth it. But this, I'm, I think there's Yeah, but I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about this one. Um, I'm, I'm not even going to get into it right now because I'm going to start talking about the chapter specifically. But before I do that, as a reminder, Dapper and I uh, have uh, read all of the books for seasoned veterans. Um, I, you know, I've read a little bit more than him because I've read the graphic novels, but we're not going to count those. Barely counts. And Betsy, Betsy Gonder, is on her first full read-through, having only read The Way of Kings uh, some time ago and kind of like barely remembers it, right, Bets? Yeah, pretty much nothing. So, uh, Kremlings, stick with us. Uh, this podcast is going to be divided into a spoiler section and a non-spoiler section for listeners who are reading the Cosmere for the first time, and we'll definitely give a warning before we uh, hop into that. So without further ado, because this is, this is going to be a good one, let's jump into Chapter 8. Nearer the Flame, Chapter 8. We do get to pick up right off the cliffhanger, thank goodness, of a displeased Jasna coming upon Shallon in Jasna's own reading cubicle thing. Without mincing words, Jasna kicks Shallon out, telling her to stop wasting her time, only for the princess to call Shallon back and tell her she can try again in, I don't know, it felt like 20 years, give or take, that was going to take her. Confident and distraught, Shallon grabs Yalb, the sailor that she left outside earlier, and visits a bookseller so she can start learning all that she doesn't know of specifically history and philosophy. After a witty back and forth, Shallon buys her books and returns to the Vale right outside the Palineum. She settles down to start a crash course in history, only for Yasna to bird barge in, admit to bribery, and then offer Shallon <laughs> a modified version of the wardship she desperately wanted. Or needed, some may say, so she can pull off the heist of one of the world's most famous and rare artifacts slash magic devices that was really good dude thank you thank you i felt like a uh like a, a dramatic reading yeah I, it was I, necessary i felt good about that i know thank it you. always sounds like that when you do the um the summaries i feel like you could be an audiobook reader you should do a I podcast you call me an audiobook. yeah you should do a podcast you should do a podcast dude. you should know <laughs> Thanks, guys. A voice uh, for podcasting. All right. Funny, funny, funny thing immediately I have here is when uh, Yazda says, I will not see you again during my time here. Immediately not true. Yeah, that's a lie. I know. Well, it really goes to show like how, I don't know, changeable people are. Like you, How persistent you, Shalon Someone might too. put up a front, but you really never know how they actually feel about it. 
Yeah, I wonder why Jasmine was having such a bad day. Yeah, I actually don't know why either. Well, she said she'd seen like 12 other potential wards. So maybe she's just had all these bad experiences and is grouping in Shalon with them. But Yeah, but I don't know. Shalon's pretty brutal. She was she was brutal, but I don't know, she was respectful and honest. Shalon isn't qualified for this role. But what I thought was really cool is that she really respected it's her it's her tenacity, it's her ability to not give up, and it's her curiosity at the end of the day, right? Because I don't know if you mentioned this in the summary, but um, when Shalon goes back to her and they, and she opens up her bag, oh no 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 wait is this in a, is this in another chapter? Is no, this, this is this chapter. chapter. Oh, okay, okay. This is this when chapter. she goes yeah. through her things, yeah, and she goes <laughs> like it's, you can tell a lot about a person by what they have in their bag. Um, that I think that and her persistence is what led y- 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 Yasna to like accept Shalon. It's the sketchbook. It's the curio- it's the sketchbook of, of, of being a scholar just to be a scholar, just to learn about the world, her curiosity. And Yaz was like, I can respect that about this person. I mean, it's hard not to. You have a person who's clearly led a very sheltered life who goes out of her way to learn, read everything that she can and then sketches it with her photogenic memory. <laughs> it's impressive. It really is. I see what you did there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, she no, really has so nothing cool. to lose at this point. Like, she's persistent for persistence sake because she has nothing to lose. Like, yeah. She, um, yeah. And um, uh, before we even get to when she like, goes to the bookstore and gets all the stuff and comes back, um, when she was first turned away again by, by Yasna, she starts crying in the corner. That was she, so sad. She, it was really sad because she drew pain spren. I thought it was really cool that you can like emotionally bring out pain spren into the world. Yeah, I noted that too. I also just felt like that was such a like moment that anyone could understand where she feels like so much shame and that like anxiety from confrontation and like kind of just like dealing with the aftermath of that intense moment needing to just like take that moment for herself. But the fact that she did like was the reason why she get a she got called back anyway because she stayed there yeah and it's funny just to think that like she's obviously she's the confrontation itself is exhausting um but she at the end of the day she just wants to rob yasna i know <laughs> it's that's so funny to think about me away with this it's like she's just she's heartbroken like sad. And sad and a part of it is because she hasn't been accepted and then a part of it is that her family will be disappointed with her they're like she she genuinely wants to be accepted not because of her family but because she wants to prove herself it's like part of it is just proving herself i know that's so interesting when you say that because i feel like you have to keep reminding me that that's what's happening because i do get really caught up in like the way she's feeling just about this relationship and her interactions between her and jasna i think just because they have such good chemistry and it feels really like charged like shalon does kind of want this for both reasons and all that stuff. So it's probably just really good writing on Brandon Sanderson's part. But I do kind of keep forgetting like, oh, yeah, 
This is just to like steal from her. Yeah, <laughs> just exactly. to rob her. Just to rob her blind. Yeah, you just can't, you can't help her root for her, right? You're just like, man, I hope she can become a warden. You, I literally forget sometimes too. Um, another cool thing is uh, after she gets rejected, you know, we go outside and we see like y'all playing, like, like hustling the guards and shit. And that was really fun. Um, and in this moment, and I'm actually going to tie this together with um, later on in like chapter uh, 11. But there's this moment where she kind of gives up, right? Like, she's about to just go away, whatever. And Yalb is just, like, standing there, like, shirt open, just, like, in the breeze. And it's like, what, you're just going to go back? What, what do you mean? And I, I, I feel like he was his, her last hope to bring back. And for some reason, like, this, like, regular, just, like, merchant kind of guy, like, pushes her forward and gives and tells her yeah try it again what do you got what do you have to lose basically the third hand is the luckiest yeah that's what they say yeah it's funny getting that from a chronic cheater as well like she comes out and he's just robbing these guards (laughs) it's something that really stuck out to me well it's funny because that is like i feel like she kind of condemns him for it but as we're just saying that's what she's doing but i think it's also interesting because we spent so much time with her character talking about like being smart and what it means to be like academic and how you're supposed to act and all this stuff. But he's showing this like whole other side of being smart. Like you can get what you want in this way. So I feel like she's just getting a lot of exposure to all these different kinds of, I don't know, ways of being cunning. Well, she's already witty and cunning anyway. I mean, thinking about the conversation that she gets to have with the the bookseller, where she's like, oh, wow, I thought I ran headfirst into being sarcastic. That's my bad. My bad. Yeah, she was absolutely roasting that guy. He had no comeback for for anything. Also, it's just so funny that, like, he's the owner and the seller, but can't read a single thing that's there. And is, like, having his wife just pick up the books and show the titles. Like, it's just such a weird, I mean, you know, know. It's, a, it's an interesting culture. I'll, I'll say that. That's a way to put it. Yeah. I mean, it's it still stands out to me as so incredibly stratified and you love that issue word. ridden. It's a very good <laughs> you word. You love that word. Don't come at me. All right, me. we're going to start it's a stratified a strong counter. Word. Stratified counter. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> But like it, it stands out to me because even when Shallon's talking about what she can get if she's the ward, her instant brightest future is that she could marry someone. And she always has to worry about, you know, the safe hand. And we see that later and all of that. But then you put her in a situation where she's trying to buy a book from a guy who can't read. It It just... It's so differently created. It's difficult to kind of understand what's going on. You know, I think that we should get an audio of people cheering every time you use the word stratified. Okay. How are you bringing it back to that? Uh, how, how about like, like slow clapping, like every yeah. time, like respectful clapping, you know, like just like a, a splattering of just. Every time I can just like we can do that ourselves. into the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Or just, or just like a slight woo, but like deep in the back, like. Oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Whatever, guys. <laughs> What right. else from uh, funny, what else yeah, from what else? Well, I, I just want to point out one incredible line from Shallon that she says to y'all while he's right outside when he's trying to figure out what's wrong, why it didn't work. Uh, and she says she's used to chronic competence. 
uh, which that, that just really line. stood out to me. I don't really know why, but that being a problem because Shallon is such a terrible view of her own self, despite being clearly incredibly intelligent, witty, energe- energetic, engaging, all of these things, it's it, it blows me away. Yeah, I also thought it was um it was fun of Yalb to go in and help keep her from getting hustled. That was a cool scene too. Yeah, he's a good character. He is a good character. I hope to see him again. Oh, and it was really nice. Shalon gave him a picture uh, that she drew of him. And that was another scene where I could just, I could just vividly see him standing there admiring himself, like, like arched back, proud, like super proud, and being like, wow, this looks great. It's just, I, I, just, I could just picture it perfectly. Well, speaking of drawings, I want to talk about the chulls in the book. So if, if, oh. anyone, if anyone's looking at their book, usually I think at the end of this chapter, there's a page showing Shalon's sketches of the chills. This is not what I thought they looked like. Dude, not at all. Not at all. I pictured a cow. I pictured a cow with like a, a, a shell on it. These basically. are giant crabs. Yeah. And this is what I thought crabs. reminded me of Avatar because this does look sort of Avatar-esque, like giant turtle. Yeah. Um, the with the person turtle. sitting on top. But yeah, and they, and they use like a stick to like move the antenna to tell it which way to go. I don't think this is spoilers. I just need to know, is everything crab? Everything is crab. Absolutely. It's there's all an, crab. Yeah, there's it's all crustacean. Big, oh, there's a, we're going to see a lot of crab. There's a pretty big emphasis on the high storms and how like things just develop on this planet in there. So all the animals definitely just have like these carapaces and then the plants, they shrink away when the high storm comes and they go into the ground because they just want to avoid being absolutely destroyed by a hurricane. So yeah, everything is crap. Everything is crap. Everything is crap. Everything's crumbling. There is no other way to put it. Everything's got a rock hard carapace on the back. And therefore, they don't get destroyed by a ridiculous hurricane, as Richie said, like every two weeks, yeah. give or take. It's all but, uh, crab. But uh, all the shout, way down. Sh- shout out to Shalon for her persistence, Shalon, and for no, and for and for really, for really uh, pushing through and getting there. She did it, and now the now the real task begins, as they said. Yeah, her real job. Is incredible. Her real job. First, we got to burn some prayers, though. Uh, anything else on on uh, on nine? Because then we can move on to. Oh, sorry, on eight, and then we can move on to nine. So, chapter nine. Yep, chapter nine. Uh, it's titled "Damnation." Uh, Kaladin has now been a member of the bridge crew for about two to four weeks. And of the 25 uh, who survived that first run with him, only one other man is alive. So it just shows you how brutal this can be. Uh, a few new arrivals come in, and Kaladin sees a young boy who reminds him of uh, this person, Tien. And in general, Kaladin is uh, not doing well with this transition. It is scary, and it's very dark, and he is broken by the end of this. Um, it's actually really sad. Um, they go on another run, and that boy that reminded him of Tien is killed. And you get this like interesting scene of like blood dripping from his eye, making it look like a uh, tear. And Kaladin crawls into a little ball in the corner and and cries. He sobs, and that he just cries. And that is 
the summary of chapter nine. It was it was uh, really dark. Yeah, damnation. It's important to kind of note out that damnation is clearly hell. It's clearly hell, and he even says in this book, in this chapter, that eternal fires were much more pleasant. Woof. Yeah, I really hope that Bridgman comes with hazard pay. I don't know. I don't. Think I don't it does. think so. Dude, of, of the tw- I don't know. They say they get paid eventually. Dude, of yeah, the twenty-five, of the twenty-five, only two survived. That is. I, I don't even know how this how Kaladin is surviving this. Well, that was what, like, this chapter is so heavy and intense and really, like, lays out the despair of this situation. But I also feel like this chapter raised so many questions for me. Like, I wrote down so many questions coming out of this chapter, one of which I feel like it's been inferred, like, for so many past chapters that Kaladin is somehow like miraculously surviving like he always survives the people around him in like strange circumstances and I get that the bridge crews are losing a lot of people but I do think it's a little weird that he's like the new guy out front and he's like the only one surviving yeah like it just makes me it's making me wonder I'm like is something up with him because I don't know. That's just literally miraculous. Something's probably up with them. But I mean, it's a good question to think about. Is it that everyone dies around him or Kaladin should have died a long time ago? Maybe he's just bad luck. You know, they should probably just stay away from him. Don't disagree. He's clearly attracting death and pain of everything all around him all the time, which is, you know, what a tone switch from chapter eight where you know we have someone who thinks that if she gets what she wants she'll marry a high prince's son to a slave bridge man who has only known 24 other people who do what he does with him and they've all died all of them yeah including the last guy this chapter yeah this is definitely the lowest we've seen him and he was in a slave cart before this and this is uh he was in a cart yeah this is a this is pretty dark. The, that, that quote yeah. at the end really got me, where it was like, "I can't keep going like this." He thought, "I'm dead inside." As sure as I'd taken a spear through the neck, like it, we do not get a lack of description about this experience. Like he's literally in a hamster wheel, just of constant death and pain and despair. And I think at one point, I don't remember if it was this chapter, chapter eleven. He says that sometimes they were so traumatized by their experience on a run that they just would not speak until the next one. Like, it's just the most traumatizing thing over and over and over again. And one other thing that came to, like, was interesting to me is that even beyond, like, that little hamster wheel of what he's forced to do every single day, there was this one paragraph where he was talking about him being trapped in the war camp as like this larger game that he couldn't see like the other side of or like what the point of the game was and he was like getting this inkling that everything they're doing has no point like just everything they do he could see how they could have like done it differently and it would have made a lot more sense and he's also just stuck in this headspace of like, not only am I just like in this never ending cycle, but also none of this makes sense. Yeah. Um, 
that's a really good point. And he also um he also brought up that was this the chapter where he says like that there are people who exist to be killed or saved. Yeah, because initially yeah. he thought like either you, you're the one. His saving father or always one. told him there's two kinds of people. Yeah, there's like those who save and then those who like like don't save or something like that. Those who save and those who kill, basically. Yeah, and in this chapter, Kaladin realizes uh, there is another person, and it's those who are just at the will of the whim of everybody else. Ready to be saved or killed, just nothing, nothing there. Yeah, it's a quote of his father's. Mm-hmm. You got his father sounds like a great guy, super, super dad of the year shit. I, I'm blown away, but that's what he would tell someone. He's 19. He's 19. He hasn't seen his dad in years, and that's what he holds on to. Well, and that tells you something. Yep. And and through that uh, transition um, with Kaladin just sobbing. Uh, we we go into a flashback, our first flashback. I want to talk about Syl. Oh my God, yeah, Syl. I just she's leaving. Like talking about all the questions that came up. I think in this chapter they leaned in the most to the weirdness around Syl knowing so much about him. So he brought up a couple times. She specifically references his character before all this happened and the things he did in battle and the type of person he was. And how she feels this um, need to like support him and get him back to that person and like understands the will that lives within him. Um, so I just wanted to point that out because. Yeah, didn't she mention she was like, she, she, was, she said something about how she used to see him. And he oh, was she like, also leaves in this chapter. She leaves. Yeah, oh, I was waiting for yeah. you to get that. Not only has she followed him way longer than we thought she did, but she just ups and leaves him. He stopped fighting. That absolutely broke him. And <laughs> I didn't so really expect that either. Like, I didn't expect that to be kind of the final straw for him. Well, think about it like this. There's a young kid who gets brought into Bridge 4. He looks like this guy, Tien, that we don't know much about yet. He instantly dies. And then the only constant, the only one, that he has had since he's joined the war camp. Sill just goes, yeah, I'm out. See ya. Good luck. Probably not even going to remember my name anymore. She's like, I'm having weird memories. Yeah. Yeah, she did mention that too. Hmm. Interesting to find out what that might be. Who knows? Who knows? And then the, the last thing I want to... Oh, the last ahead. thing I want... You go first. I've got a last thing too. I wanted to just go back to what you were talking about, Betsy, when you said it was a, gr- a game. It, it, it stands out to me how pointless their fighting is in this chapter when we learn that the war camps haven't moved in years, they've never pressed an advantage, they just keep fighting over this chrysalis, they say, at, the, uh, at the, uh, in every plateau that they fight over, where there's a gemstone, but that's, that is all we get. That's what I was going to learn- say. I, I, was, I thought that was just, it was mentioned one time. Like the giant chrysalis in the pl- like in the plains, I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> yeah, and the gemstone at the heart of it. Yeah, this is what they're fighting over. Yeah, and they don't even help each other. He says that when a high prince gets there after a high prince, they just leave. They just turn around. Yeah, 
What the hell? We were saying that about Sadius, that he would leave sometimes. We should, we should, or we should, we should mention that actually. Um, Kaladin describes those couple bridge runs that he goes on, or at least thinks about it. And if the Parshendi are there, the Parshendi are the ones uh, known to be responsible for the death of the king and the reason why everyone's at war. They will constantly shoot at the bridge for or all the bridges running towards the chasms to create, you know, uh, a bridge for the army going forward. And if uh, the bridge crew gets there before, everything is safe, everything is easy. But unfortunately, if they don't, and the Parshendi already, like, camped there, they're going to lose a lot of people, and they clearly have. It is, I don't even understand how they're refilling the ranks so quickly. They, they, how many people they're losing a day? It's crazy. I know, they, he money? said something about that at one point. I can't remember where it was, but they're like, oh, there's no shortage of people. Like, you can find, like, prisoners or slaves anywhere. I was like, that doesn't feel like an answer to me. Like, that yeah. doesn't... Yeah, like, how, how often are they doing this? Like, they're losing, like, like what, 50, probably more than 50 oh, people. Oh, more, definitely more. Hundreds of people a day? Well, that just takes you back to the description of the war camps we get in the chapters before, where they basically describe them as just huge camp cities. And you got kids running around, you know, shops, merchants. Yeah, I think I stores. really underestimate how big the, this war camp is. Like, I'm really. There must be thousands. Like, I'm picturing of people. a small siege, but yeah, this is a small city right now. Yep. It's basically the size of, like, Poughkeepsie. Basically, but like they'd have enough people that they'd want to continue to refill something as terrible as the bridge run crew. I don't know. I don't really blame them for being so confused and shocked, but clearly life does not matter as much as whatever this chrysalis is. But the last thing that I want to point out here is you guys already said this early, but how he kind of curls up into a ball, but he finally cried first time. Since he became a slave, that he cried. To me, that's actually a good thing. You know, he's finally like trying to process uh, an emotion. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I more crying's it, good. It, it it is a good thing to release those emotions, but it seems like it was. It seems like he was just really just broken, and there was just there's nothing left to do. And he's always a fighter. I think I think at that moment, he truly like just gave up. Is what it sounds yeah. like. That's fair. Well, okay, maybe it's not a good thing. With that, <laughs> sorry, we'll go back to simpler times <laughs> in chapter well, ten. So, in chapter ten, we meet ten-year-old Cal, as Cal didn't like to be called when he was younger, little Cal. So, in this chapter, we open. Cal comes in late to a surgery of a young woman um, whose hand has been mangled. Um, and his father, Liren, is the surgeon. So he has this discussion with his father kind of before they dive into the surgery. We learn a bit about the Knights Radiant um, before they start working. In the scene, there's a lot of information happening about surgery in general. Cal notices that the woman's finger is going to, be ha- going to have to be amputated. We're seeing like the beginning of the seeds of all of Caledon's knowledge about surgery and medicine coming into play here. Um, But 
we Liren notes that Cal has to work on his nerves, so he's still like a little nervous and anxious about this. Um, he wants to know why Calden was late. Calden tells him that him and Tien, I think this is the first time we're really meeting Tien, though we don't meet him, we hear about him, um, went to see a friend, Jam, whose father is a fighter in the quarterstaff. Um, this turns into an argument with, between Cal and his father about Cal wanting to be a soldier. Um, Cal wants to know who tells stories about surgeons. And his father answers that the family of the saved do. Kind of shuts Calden down there. Um, and then finally the chapter closes with Liren telling Cal that he wants to send him to train to be a real surgeon. At Carbranth, uh, yeah. which is where... Uh, a city we know very which well. Which is where Shalon is right now. Yep. Shalon. So I thought this so chapter let's just was... Kind of g- yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let's just give it a timeline for a second. So. Nine years ago is this. Six years ago was the prologue with Zeth and the assassin and war, who are white on the night he kicked some ass. Uh, and it's weird to think about what's happened in less than a decade. It sounds like they were signing a treaty and everything was going great and Cal's just a kid. And then nine years later, he's a slave branded running bridges. And he, pretty crazy to think about. Yeah, and even uh, before King Gavilar is killed, Kaladin still has dreams of joining the army. So the Alethi seem to always have someone that they're fighting. Sometimes even each other, as we learn about in his first chapter, where it's like a border war against other Alethi. They just like fighting. Yeah, well, I thought it was so interesting to get this like look into Kaladin's past and kind of like what's shaped him to who he is today. And I thought his father was so interesting. Like, he's this really pragmatic, like, firm individual who does seem very different from Calden, but also seems like he's, like, seen a lot in life and has, like, learned what's important and what's not and is trying to, like, kind of steer Calden in the right way. Um, yeah, I just thought it was so interesting. Like, you could really see how this had affected him like this relationship that he had with his father especially in the next chapter right and also it also explains like how he knew like how to treat one of the slavers who was in the cart he has like extensive like medical background and has clearly gone on a path that his father probably would not have approved of Probably. It sounds pretty much like he would hate it. You know, they they fought. He's a 10-year-old, and he's, like, yelling at this guy. He's already got his life figured out for him, and that he cannot do what he wants, which is clearly be a soldier. He wanted to at 10 years old. Oh, we also we also get a mention of the Herald again by Liren, um, um, Callan's dad. Uh he says the heralds were sent to teach mankind. They led us against the void bringers after we were cast from the heaven. The, the, the radiance were the order of knights they founded. I think there's a little bit of heavy exposition there, but I, I don't think we're supposed to fully understand what all that means. We're definitely not supposed to fully get it, but. But I is don't that mind. the betrayal that we saw at the very beginning? Well, it says the, I think what, the, the guys we saw in the beginning were the heralds. 
Okay. And it says heralds were sent to teach mankind. And then it says the rate. Okay, so yeah, I remember now. Uh, Kaladin mentions that the heralds were the traitors, but then Liren says it was actually the radiance who were the traitors. So I guess what we saw in the prelude to all of the stormlight is not known to the people of this this planet. Well, that was 4,000 years ago, what's taking yeah. place right now. Look, I, I think it's a good idea to at least very briefly explain the Voronism religion. So you have the Almighty at the top, you have the 10 heralds below him who founded the orders of knights known as the Radiance, who all together fought the Voidbringers. They beat him 4,000 plus years ago. And now we are 4,000 years after that happened. As we know, they kind of just abandoned humanity and just kind of hoped that it was the end. But it seems like they were right because it sounds like all of the Voidbringers, the Radiance, all of them are in the past. Yeah, and it seems like the planet is really thriving with its uh, slavery. Oh, yeah, and stratified society. High storms and storm monsters that we don't know much about yet. Yeah, um, it was really it was, it was nice, uh, interesting to see the conflicting ideologies between Kaladin and, and Liren, because um, because Liren seems to be very absolute in his mindset, where it's like you can't protect by killing, you know, and stop a storm by blowing harder. Yeah, it's like stopping a storm by bl- like blowing harder. He, he's he's not he's not wrong. But it's too absolute, like because his his idea is if you killed someone, you literally did not protect that person. So by doing so, you you're you're, you're a hypocrite. You literally can't do it. You're a hypocrite because you're not following the Hippocratic oath. But right, um, we're gonna end it here, guys. Um, <laughs> I was I was proud of that one. All right, we're gonna we're gonna call it here. We're gonna uh, <laughs> go away. Back it, we have yeah, another back job to do. Laren's ideas are really absolute, but I feel like I see them like reflected in those moments when Calden isn't so far absolute in the other direction, like some of the other characters we see that are all war all the time. One line that I thought was really interesting was when he talked about how their family's livelihood he almost saw it as surviving on others' misfortune, which was pretty interesting. Pretty different way and to I look feel at like, surgery. Yeah, but it, it just stood out to me because not like Calden surviving on others' misfortune now. I feel like it's just this theme with him where he's like, all this stuff, bad stuff is happening around him and it, you'd think it would be a positive thing that he's surviving, but... In actuality, he's like suffering, seeing all of this terrible stuff happening around him. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, you think about what this kid's been through. It, he was a soldier fighting a meaningless battle. He did something. Suddenly he's a slave and he is sold into the worst job imaginable. Like Brandon had some fun thinking about what a Bridgman was going to do. I don't even, I wouldn't even, I mean, is it really even a job? Like, it, it's either do this, it's either do this or die. Yeah, he says that. Which, he really which does. Is, yeah, it's either just you do this or you die, which is brutal. It's just so brutal. Like, my legs hurt just thinking about, like, running this much. 
And, you know, uh, it really does put things into perspective with Kaladin, thinking about what his father says to him in this chapter, and then what we know he goes through, like, while fighting in, what was the guy's name? Uh, Amaram, Amaram's army, and trying to save all of the, you know, the young kids who were pressed into service way too early, because he's caring too much, which is what his father tells him he is already doing too much of. That's a good point. That's a really good point. You're right. You're right. Yeah, father of the year. Don't care about people. But he never charges. I'm sure he's misunderstood. I'm sure. I'm sure. Misunderstood. Um, do you guys have anything else, anything else for chapter uh, 10? No, I'm just glad that we finally got a little insight into a lot of the random shit that Kaladin has said over the last few chapters. We've learned like the surgery background, the father issues, and a little bit more, finally, about who Tien is. So, with chapter 11, um, the high T- story... Titled Droplets. Droplets. Thank you. Thank you, Richie. Like, like tears for what's about to happen in this chapter, but then not. So <laughs> the go. high that's storm. The summary. That's the summary. <laughs> that's and, the and, summary. And that's it. That's literally it. <laughs> so the high storm that's been raging is finishing up. So Calden goes outside. He's spotted by Gaz, who thinks he's going out to steal people's spheres that they're trying to charge from the high storm. But Calden tells him he's going to the honor chasm, which we find out is where most men go who, to commit suicide. So Gaz kind of is like, okay, see ya, leave your shoes behind. Um, Calden goes out there and has a really depressing, deep, deeply sad moment with himself where he's considering jumping. But Syl returns at the last minute. And she gives him, in dark comedy, a black vein leaf. Um, t- she attempts to convince him not to kill himself and to help the other bridgemen. Uh, Calden kind of dismisses her at first, saying he's just failed everybody and there's no point. Um, but still counters and says that they will, the bridgemen are going to die regardless. It's the only thing he can do to give it one last try. Cowden returns to camp and essentially um, intimidates Gaz, uh, telling him that he is now the bridge leader, and he bribes Gaz to stay out of his way. He's like full of fire right now, um, ready to kind of put everything he has into his one last shot. Um, Back at the barracks with the other bridgemen, he demands to know all their names um, and tells them that they're, he is their bridge leader now and makes a promise to all of them that he'll protect them. Oh, it's so what good. A chapter. Even, hearing, even hearing your summary, that was a great summary, Bets. Well done. That, even the summary made me like, feel like, oh, God, it was such a good chapter. Such oh. a good chapter. So what a way to end great part moments. One. I had all the feelings. Mm-hmm. First, shout out, though, leathery-faced green, Richie's son. Uh, we were able to get the last mention here of old leathery-faced guy when he brings it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. I don't think we get him again. I don't. It's the last time we're going to get that fun terminology of how you describe a guy's face. Yeah, the beginning, it's just such a ride from the beginning of this chapter to where we are at the end of it. And like when it first opens, 
And Calden is walking out after this storm to go to the chasm. And there is that moment with Gaz where I like thought he was going to say something nice. It's almost as if he paused, right? He like paused. And then he said, oh, like leave your jacket. Like don't just waste your stuff when you jump. Like leave it for someone else. Such a kind of fair so, though. I know, but it, it really just felt like it's like such a just, lack of humanity. Like yeah, nobody and it, and has any humanity. It was like anymore. he chose to 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 disregard his own humanity in that moment. He was just like I like he just doesn't want to think about it. If if anything, he's just as much a slave. Like he's also broken. Well, they all are, and that's why I felt like at the very end. I mean, we can talk about this in a second, but like the choice to go and get everybody's names is like the first step in like giving everybody back their humanity because they're just like shell, they're crumbling shells at this oh, point. Nice, okay, right. nice, well, let, Betsy. Let's, that was really good. All right, well, let's go back to Sill, uh, just what struggling scene. to move this little leaf and give it to Kaladin. No idea what it does. Has no idea that. In in a very funny way, she's like giving him a leave to kill himself because that's what Black Bane does. And that's what he originally had it for. And she's like, hey, I saw you with this before. I thought maybe it would be helpful for you. It is the most adorable thing. Ever. This this scene, this, this, this chapter is what got me highly invested in the Stormlight Arc. Nice. After that's I the read name this, of the podcast. After... <laughs> After I read this uh, chapter, I literally was like, all right, I'm going to read this whole thing tonight, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little aggressive. I, did, I didn't. I I'm did. shocked. Spoilers, I'm shocked. I didn't. A thousand pages. Also, connecting back to the last chapter, he said some line, I think it was like right before Saul came along, where he just goes, we should all just become surgeons. <laughs> it's like, damn. It's kind of fair. I mean... It sounds like a much better life than being a bridgeman. There's a description of when he decides to give life another chance, and it is just so beautiful. This uh, I could just see this scene so well of the storm already passing, literally the storm passing, and it's just like rain droplets falling. The plants are kind of like it's safe to come out. They're they're absorbing all of the water, and there are life spread just like coming out of the ground and um i'm gonna i'm gonna read this uh, little this little chapter if that's reading right. from richie green he stalked away from the chasm bare feet splashing in puddles and stepping heedlessly on rock bud vines the incline he'd come down was covered with flat slate-like plants that had opened like books to the rain ruffled lacy red and green leaves connecting the two halves life spread like green blips of light brighter than sill but small as pores, danced among the plants, dodging raindrops. I thought that was so fucking beautiful. It was just the idea that he chose life over death, basically, in this moment. And I don't know. I just thought it was awesome. It's such a great buildup. Like, he changes so quickly from the state that he was in before, and then suddenly, like, he has this passion again and is, like, going back up the hill. And next thing you know, he's on gas and like everything's different yeah and it reminded me of of shallan in the earlier chapter who also just like gave it another shot because and y'all completely oblivious to what she's going through what her real goal is is just there being himself and telling her 
What do you have to lose? That's Keep such fighting. a good comparison. I never connected that. Three three times I've read up to this, I've never connected the Sil to Yob and Shaolin to Kaladin. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. And I know we keep talking about movie scenes, but for me, the the part that felt the most like I could see it in a movie was when he's talking to the like Bridge Four in there and introducing himself to everybody, like telling them that they're Bridge Four now and all that yeah. stuff. Was yeah, so you can good. like hear the music swelling. You know? Yeah, like you know, it's a, you know, a montage is about to happen or something. Oh hell yeah! Hell it felt yeah. very like obviously this isn't comparable at all. Like kind of like locker room pump up scene. <laughs> he's given the pep talk. God, he's like the coach that they didn't trust, and now he's gonna like lead them to win the championship. Sorry, this is a bad <laughs> example. <laughs> that is a great example, dude. It's like about to give the miracle speech. I I I really really enjoyed this like concept. The way that Sil put it too is this like simple idea of like. Well then, why? What does it matter? And it's just how you interpret it and how your mindset wraps around it, because it's this thin line between, well, if nothing matters, then what's the point of living? But also, if nothing matters, what's the big deal in living some more? You know, like I, I really thought that was cool. And shout out to Sill. Shout out, Sill. She's amazing. She's the best. She's, She's a favorite now. But we do get one of the first badass lines from Kaladin. He's going to have a bunch in this entire book series. But the first one that stuck out to me, the world changed. I died. Now you've got my vengeful spirit to gather. That was so oh good. Oh, my God. <laughs> very, what do you even very do? Nice. Very nice. Gaz is such a wimp. I hate him I so know. much. Very soft. Kal- Kaladin should have just tossed him down the chasm. Chasm. We ever see Kaladin and Shallan together? They've they've got to do like a rap battle or something because they've got yeah 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 chronic competence versus vengeful spirit. Truly, I love it. There's a few other moments that I really want to point out here that do help a little bit with the world building too. So we do get a lot of imagery around the plants and the rock buds, quote unquote, uh, that are coming out and enjoying the post-storm weather. Uh, So if you imagine this world that Brandon is building here, it is everything you'd ever think about for grass is rock. There's no other way to put it. If you imagine a field, for us, it's full of grass, whatever. For them, pure rock. There's no grass anywhere. The only plants that grow, just like the Kremlings, all have rock-hard carapaces. And that's why, after the storms, they open, and they're called rock buds. And that's how you farm. That's it. That's how you farm. Also, also to uh, point out, uh, when Kaladin walks up to the chasm, (laughs) he literally mentions, what is it, chasm? 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 When he walks, when he walks over to it, he mentions that it it opens up rapidly, as if it was kind of like unnatural the way that it went from like a thin like slither to like a giant massive like opening. And he mentions that it seemed unnatural. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. Maybe like he says it like twice or something. He yeah, brings he it up twice. twice. 
So it's like something something created the shattered planes. Maybe well, I guess that makes crab. sense because it's called shattered. So something shattered there. You guys know what it is. That's true. I know yeah, you know do. what it is. I swear I read <laughs> it and I was like, what the hell does that mean? I'm no, just watching uh, you be like so confused. And I'm the only one here that's confused. <laughs> not, you're not no, alone. I, you're not alone. I, I, this is, I mean, it, thank you for pointing that out because I, I don't may, think I, I picked may, up on it. But Yeah. I may at a certain point have known what it meant, but in that moment, I really went, wait, 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 that was weird that he mentioned it was unnatural twice. Yeah. I was very much picturing like the Grand Canyon. That's actually not a bad way to think about it, Betsy. It's just instead of like one big area, imagine if the Grand Canyon, you could actually basically walk across it, but on every side, there were different plateaus, and the only way to get to them was to take a bunch of guys, give them a bridge, and have them laid across to get from one side to the other like a dozen times. Yeah. But don't they have to, to don't they each have half the bridge and they like meet it up? In the middle? No, uh, it's uh, they always try to go from a higher plateau to a lower plateau. Uh, and the bridge itself is curved on both sides uh, so that when they are trying to put it across the chasms, 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 they basically just put it down and then they all push so that when it gets to the other side, it just like flattens falls, out. Falls down on it. Exactly. Yeah. And then they can kind of lock it into place a little bit. People go across, they go across, and then they just pull it over. Sure. I don't understand. <laughs> That's Wait. fine. I'm just going to keep picturing what I picture in my head. I don't, know, I don't think it needs we, to I don't think we, it needs to match what you just described. <laughs> they push the bridge over the Wait, chasm. No, and Betsy, you cannot go on. You can't go on thinking that they have two separate bridges that they connect together. Because there's that is not bridge. a on the other <laughs> side. Richie, Richie wasn't there when I told Dapper what I thought the first time I read. <laughs> what did you think? Which I actually think is more similar to what it actually is. But I thought they just had a flat, like a flat piece of wood, like a flat bridge. And they just like carried it. And then they just like tipped it over, which I think is pretty much what you're saying. It's basically what Dapper's saying, except instead of it being flat, it's curved like an archway. And they're coming from a hill, so they could just like drop it down onto the other thing like this and then go across. It's like a little curved down every time. I was right the whole time. time. You were right the whole time. Never doubt yourself. That's not what the rat czar would do. So true. Oh, oh, another thing. uh, The chapter title, Droplets. No, not about the rat czar. But Droplets, which is the chapter title. Um, really cool description of, um, you know, the little rain hitting the plants and then little droplets are falling down into the chasm and Kaladin thinks that each one of them represents a slave that went there and dropped and jumped off. Yeah, I think he described, I wrote that line down too. I think he said they were like little jumpers. Yeah, little suicidal droplets or something like that. Oh my gosh. Oh, God, it's so sad. He had one foot over the edge, and then just, and I could just see it, one foot over the edge, and then still just runs in. Callan, I got something for you. I brought so you cute. poison. Yeah. I brought you I, poison. I will, I will just say, like, the writing in these chapters is so good. It like, really I think that Brandon Sanderson's using this super close third person that almost feels like first person. Like, we really are in... Calden and Shalon's heads, but especially with Calden in these chapters, like we really feel it with him because of the way that he's writing 
these yeah. scenes and it feels like super close. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, do you guys have anything else for, for chapter 11? Except for that it was, it's the best one so far. It is opinion. the best one so far. We end it with the first named Bridgman. Teft. That was really good. Yeah, we should talk about that a little bit more. I loved him going in there and, and uh, just basically like strong arming them to give him his name, to give them their names. And uh, he mentions how it's like the last thing that they're holding on oh. to. Oh, it's so good. Outstanding. Well, every person that helps Kaladin or Kaladin helps. Kaladin? Kaladin? What did I say there? Every man that Kaladin helps dies, but he would find a way. And that's the end of part one. That is the end of part one, guys. We did it. We did it. I'm proud of you guys. Proud of you, Bets. Good job, Betsy. Thanks for not spoiling And good job, Kremlings. I'm actually kind of amazed that you haven't spoiled anything. That's what oh, you think. Or maybe, maybe you have, and I haven't. No, I was we would 100 percent. Believe me, Dapper hands. has dropped so many like hints that he thinks <laughs> is so funny. Like he'll, like he keeps when he does descriptions, he'll he's saying things in a way that it's for us later. Like, are I'm you like secretly giggling over there? Oh yeah, yeah he I'm is. literally. And I, I'm not gonna out. lie, I accidentally did one too. Yeah, <laughs> today, like yeah, 20 like, minutes we'll ago. About, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> we'll see uh, in the spoiler section. It's not even, it's not even accidental. Like, Liar. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. in this chapter? Yeah, in this chapter. Yeah, it was Richie, in this chapter. Richie dropped um, a pretty Was it one. the chasm? <laughs> nope. Uh, no. Mustard's going to say no whenever you ask. No. All right. So we will be heading into the spoiler section. Uh, from now on, our conversations will be centered around... Uh, these chapters but in the context of all of brandon sanderson's cosmere series so for those kremlings who've read stormlight archive mistborn warbreaker elantris white sand arcanum unbounded and the secret projects including the pre the prologue to stormlight 5 if you are caught up stick around and we will see you in the spoiler section fortunately betsy this is where we say goodbye. This is where we I leave can't, you. I can't join this time. No, not just, this time. Just this one time. No. And we are recording virtually, so I will just kick you out. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, Betsy. Bye, Kremlings. And we're back in the spoiler section. Me and Dapper. Welcome, Kremlings. Goodbye, Betsy. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so chap- right. chapter eight um, is uh, the Shalon chapter, Shalon chapter. Near the flame. Near the flames. Really interesting chapter, um, but I want to point out immediately, what was Helleron looking for? Did you notice that she mentioned that her brother was had a series of weird maps? Mm-hmm. I thought it was her came. father. I think was- they were both. They were both doing it for a bit. Yeah, it was but, a strange collection of maps. In must study. be a re-through. Must be think, a re-through. Yeah, they were trying to find it, right? What, I don't see what, how it could be what, anything else. What group was Helleron, who, who is Shalon's brother, for those who don't know, yeah. what group was he a part of? Yeah, so he joins the Skybreakers after he gets kicked out of the family by what's uh, Lynn. Yeah, Lindovar, the father. Uh, and Lynn is a ghost blood. While Helleran is a skybreaker. Yeah, it's crazy. It's why they do not get along. 
Wait, wait, wait. wait. Sh- uh, Shalon's uh, father's name is Lin? Yes. Oh, okay. L-I-N. Gotcha. Gotcha. And he's a ghost blood. He's a ghost blood. Wow. It's how he gets this. That's how he gets the uh, the soulcaster. It's how he gets all the money, and he's trying to do world hopping shit. It's kind of ridiculous that the skybreakers are just around right now. Like we I, know, like, I know. We like it's to just an order that, of radiance, just around. Yeah, like we like to think that Kaladin is one of the first to bring it back, but in reality, it's always been there, and they're just what hiding. Yep. They're just like, I feel like what, they're probably in the mountains around the Pure Lake. Uh, I think they say something like that when Zeth goes and sees them. But it's crazy, yeah, to think about it like that. Their whole history for thousands of years has just been to hunt budding radiance down and kill them because they broke the law, which was they invaded Roshar from Ashin and kicked out all of the Parshendi, the singers. Well, yeah, kind of and tried they, to. And they, and they stuck to that code ever, oh, yeah. ever since. That was the That's the craziest reveal. I think that's what, book three? Midway yeah, it through? Yeah, feel that crazy. Like, it felt like really? we were just brushing. I mean, maybe when we do a reread um, and we get to that part, it'll it'll feel more like, I guess maybe I was just reading it too fast, but it just the felt The humans like are the void bringers. Oh, oh that part, that part. I thought you were talking about the fact that Skybreakers were around. Because they kind of just, uh, they kind of just like were like, oh yeah. By the way, Skybreakers have always been around. They didn't no, really yeah, I agree. That. It is kind of brushed over. Yeah, but yeah, they're around. But maybe he's saving it for uh, the latter books. Maybe they're he's saving it for five. Like who mm-hmm. knows? But okay, there's a few things also to bring up. Once again, Betsy's completely missed the Shallon having a shard, shard blade, blade thing. right? The right. ten heartbeats away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the yeah. goddamn nose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, she literally thinks of her father, and it makes her feel ill. And it says, "And the secret she now carried, hidden, ten heartbeats away." My God, yeah. we hear that ten heartbeats so many times. Yeah, the moment not, we get to not, Dalinar and not Adeline. as yeah, exactly. Like once we get to Dalinar and Adeline, they bring up the ten heartbeats a lot. But in here, if you're a first time reader, you're not gonna know, uh, or at least you're not gonna pick up on the fact that she has a, a shard blade. And here's the question: Shalon has a shard blade. Who's does that mean? She's I guess has she sworn the ideals already? Oh yeah, she definitely swore up to the third ideal with testament. I think. Gotcha. So this shard blade is testament. Is a dead testament? Yeah. So the shard blade must be testament. So the way that it, I remember it works is she kills her mother, is so shocked and upset by the fact that she did that that she breaks her bond, and refuses to do anything with testament anymore, and that makes testament a dead eyes but the shard blade is still bonded to shallon so okay. what it must so, be so that, have yeah. we ever so seen two so have we ever seen pattern as a shard blade yeah she whips them out every now and then so she has she has two shard blades is what you're she's saying. got two shard blades we we only just learned that in rhythm of war so she only ever really gets the pattern blade but she's got two she do she very much what? do i yeah i guess i never really put those two things together. Yeah, she's she's going to dual wield shard blades. Yeah, she's sick. never dual wielded shard, shard blades before. Yeah, book five. Don't worry. No so, so so initially in, in in this, she's thinking about Testament, her first spren that she kills. And in Words of Radiant, she's going to whip it out again. That's Testament mm-hmm. also, right? Mm-hmm. But she's also becoming 
she's forming a stronger bond with pattern as this is happening when does she use pattern then is that pattern doesn't we don't get the pattern blade i think until oathbringer when she really swears the third ideal but she definitely has the testament blade in book two when she carves out the rock when they're in the chasm right so no doubt about that it's just funny to think that she's like never really in danger at any point because of the secret and because of catching people off guard she is pretty much safe from initial danger anywhere mm-hmm. she goes. And is so, so she's so frightened every time still. I know. She's and lying to dark. herself because to think about the blade is to remember the past. So she's literally lying to herself. Yeah. She that's why she has, you know, multiple personalities disorder yeah. in the next three books straight. And you know, I remember reading this book the first time and being very bored. By the Shaolin chapters, just yeah, waiting really. and begging I, I, to I get back to I find it so interesting now. I find it so interesting. I love interesting. it. It's I so really good like it. now. It's I really so like good. it. Yeah. I, I, I like her even more now. And she was probably, if not my favorite, behind Kaladin, my second favorite, I, no matter dude, what. Dude, I completely agree. Even reading it first time, I was really intrigued by the fact that she was trying to steal. I like the fact that she had secrets. You know, I wanted to know why she's trying There's to always steal another this. secret. There's always there another always secret. There always is. There's always another secret. And now reading it the second time, I'm even more intrigued because I just know how crazy her past is. And I just find myself rooting for her. We know Kaladin's a badass. We know he's going to do some incredible things. It's already hinted at. I mean, in the next few chapters we see, he's the only one alive. Betsy called it out this episode. She was like, how is he alive? This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we got to talk about that too. Actually, actually, do you have anything else for eight? Because we can move on to nine. I do. I have two things. One, you might remember this. I don't. The five Voren kingdoms. She says it briefly. Yeah, she says she only remembers four, and then yeah, like the surprised that there's a fifth. I have no idea what the fifth is. Maybe I don't it's, remember the fifth either. Um, I'll need to look it up. You think maybe it has something to do with... It's got to be the Shattered Plains, but Natanatan is where the Shattered Plains are. Mm. She even mentions that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was is gonna it a say, I was going to say maybe it has something to do with that. What happened to the Shattered know. Plains? Remember, we we talked we talking about that. Did yeah, there's the city there, and it like gets exploded by odium during one of the uh, desolations towards the very end. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, I believe that's where the like the final fight is that we see uh, at the very beginning of the prelude. Where I'm not get- entirely sure. Betsy was calling us out on that, but I don't think it's been fully explained yet. No, no. The final fight where the heralds disappear and they yeah, drop their swords? The, I thought the, that was in Shinovar. I thought they did that in Shinovar. Oh, that would make sense because the Shin where they, have that's all where, the blades. They have, that's where all the blades are. Yeah. Oh, I think you're right. So I, I don't. Right. I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I know I know. Odium uh, did something. Oh, yeah. Oh, Odium does a lot of shit. I mean, he's already killed three gods by the first time we meet him. Dominion, devotion, honor. So we still know. we still don't know how he killed honor. Also. Well, I mean, it, it's pretty easy to guess if you think about the Mistborn. Mistborn series, yeah, you just push and, your like your presence against yeah. them and, and, and win. It, thinking about what Odin this is ruin versus preservation for did. those uh, listening. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, honor had put so much of himself into Roshar and specifically into the Heralds that he was weaker up front than mm-hmm. Odium. Just like preservation, so, putting everything into the mist, right? Exactly. Well, into the humans or even really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that allowed Ruin to slowly get more power and kill him. Poor, so sad, poor Laros. All he wanted to do was save humanity, preserve humanity. Anyway, 
the last thing I want to bring up about chapter eight is the passions. I never connected this, but dude, Odium is the god of passion and emotion. The passions must have something to do with him, or at least the pure tones of Roshar. Like, what, where, what, where is are the, this? what are the passions? When did that get uh, brought up? It's it's the t- the Thalen religion. Yalb brings it up, and gotcha. she calls him a pagan because she loves calling people pagans. Uh, but w- what is it? I don't know. It, it definitely must has something have something to do with, to do with him. He is the human's god, right? Yeah, he is the human's god. He is super true. <laughs> It probably does have something to do with that. I love y'all, but I love y'all. I know. Sad, I, I think character. this is our last time seeing him. Yeah, for a long time, I believe. Do we ever even see him again? I don't think so. It's just a shame because he was such a good character, great character. Great I really character. did. I really su- surprised myself by making that connection with y'all and Sill, like both, like bringing like these characters back and giving them hope. It was, was a great connection. It great really, connection. Was, I mean, the chapters kind of just aligned that way, and it was it was. It was fun to read again, for sure. Um, so, so let's get, let's move on to nine. Let's move on to nine. Yes. Um, it, Betsy brings up a point of how is Kaladin surviving all of this? Oof. Right, because he's, he's, he's really close already. She's getting it. He's drawing the arrows towards the bridge and killing everybody else at the same time. I, I don't know. Is he drawing it to the bridge or is he pushing them away? Or maybe he's doing both. So he invests the bridge with a tiny bit of stormlight, and that pulls the arrows into the bridge away from him. And into other people. Would you say yeah, that he's killing probably. other people? Accidentally? That's probably true. Wow. Because they're all, like, Bridge 4 is bad luck. I mean, it was bad luck before him. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, 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 like maybe, maybe I don't want to imagine that he's like accidentally killing higher. people. Yeah, let's just assume that it's not doing that. But if it's, <laughs> it has to be near him to pull up. So that's why Bridge Four still dies a lot. Yeah. Also, another thing to to, to note here, we know that uh, it's easier to invest or or have hold investiture when your spirit is broken, when your spirit web is broken. That's how Kelsier in. Mistborn secret history can uh, contact some of the soldiers who are a little more down and broken on the field. Um, this is a kind of important that we see Kaladin get this broken. It allows for Syl to manifest into this physical world and become cl- and form a stronger bond with him. As because as we know, hmm. Stormlight is all about just people with trauma. <laughs> Yeah, that's the entire series is trauma. Oh my god, there's so much trauma in this series. But I, I never made that connection. That's a really good way to think about it. Because it's not just Kaladin being super strong and protecting everyone around him like Windrunners do. But he's a broken man. And so Sills, I guess, probably attracted him at Star in order to because he's protecting everyone around him. But it's that he always tries to go again, which breaks his spirit and allows him to be open to the bond. Great connection, yeah. Richard. Damn. Yeah. You know, I thought, I, thought cool. I was the one who have read this the most. Oh, wait, no. You still hold those uh, dumb little See, graphic maybe novels if you over read, me. Yeah. Maybe if you read the White <sighs> Sand novel, you'd be able to make these connections. Whatever. Whatever. They're not oh, stratified oh, enough. Oh, um, there, did you want to bring up the epigraph? Is there? Is this where the uh, oh, epigraph yeah. is? Oh, yeah. So as we know from a previous one, uh, we we have the end of all of the Cosmere ruined 
and one of the epigraphs in the way. I wouldn't say ruined, but hinted at. There's like no yeah, way ruined, we're going to know which ruined. one it is. I, I texted Richie over the weekend, sending him two ideas. Um, and so my two ideas, 10 people with shard blades of light standing before a wall of black and white and red. That is the epigraph to Damnation, the chapter nine. I, I don't rem- know. I th- believe that, that sounds like color. that sounds like the Oath Pack. That sounds like the beginning. It does. It, it does. Like- it sounds exactly like it. But wall of black and white and red. The black and white and red symbols to me the weird machine monster men that autonomy was trying to bring through that portal. Uh, in the last metal, the lost metal. The lost Sorry. metal. Yeah, I always think it's the last metal. The lost metal, and that just that just really stands out to me. We yeah. know so you that think, Brandon you loves think color the wall, symbolism. The wall of black and red and white is actually a wall of beings mm-hmm. that they're about to fight. You, and I bet you the ten people are not the heralds, but you, they're the stand-ins. You got Dalinar. You got Kaladin. You got Yasna. Is this you your theory? Kelsier, you, th- the, you think that Kelsier? Yeah, dude, and Wit, 100%. Wit already has a shard blade. Wait, wait, go back. You think that you think that those 10 people, you think that they're going to replace the 10 heralds? That's what? one of my theories why for would, the end of Stormlight 5. Why would Wit care about being a herald? He's, why does Wit care about anything? He's beyond that. He's beyond being a herald. Is he Is he stronger than a herald? Hell Do you think yeah. he could take Ishar I, in a fight? I think, yeah. I be, don't know. I, current, I don't know. Current? Current wit knows how to use um the door from Elantris. Okay, but only that's, now. That's an at un- the end of Tress. We don't know when that. Oh, that's in the future. We know that's that in the is a hundred percent of the yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sh- shit. The 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 um the guy who can't speak can't think of his name, but he's got has an, has an iPad. This tech. Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got an iPad. <laughs> yeah. I forget his name too. Um, yeah, okay. yeah. Once Wit becomes a Lantrian, yeah, he probably could take on Ishar. But yeah, Lantrian's that, magic system is just broken. They can oh, do so, literally so anything strong. they want. I'm not surprised. Their gods are dead, and so they have a ability to tap to the door, D O R, and that's just the most pure form of investiture. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, but the it's kind of like a, it's kind of like alchemy from um, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Shout out to people who watch anime on the podcast. Save it for the p- anime podcast. It's, ga- it's going to be big. <laughs> it's going to be huge. I don't really have much more to say about Chapter Nine. Uh, we get you know Kaladin's being foreshadowed in yep. the storm later yeah, on in the it, same book. Yeah, they mentioned being uh, strung up in the in the storm and uh, as a punishment, as a form of punishment which we know is going to happen later. I'm pretty sure even when I first read the book and, and he said that, I was like, oh, that's going to happen to yeah, him. Yeah, I, I completely <laughs> brushed over it. Uh, so we go. Go, we go to 10 stories of uh, s- stories of surgeons. We get a quick flashback. Uh, Kaladin's dad is just, uh, he can be just so annoying, but in his righteousness, um, especially after you know how he's going, he, that he stays this way, into rhythm of war and he just never changes it's it's just like here's more of the same it's just so annoying he he is but i also i just respect his stubbornness i think it's it is kaladin at the same time does that make sense it is it is it does make sense i i mean it's a great chapter it's incredible and 
with what we know, how book four ends, you know, with Kaladin saving Liren, swearing the fourth ideal, it's it's incredibly strong. And this is the first time we see Liren at all. And again, I said it a couple of times, clearly dad of the year. I mean, what a cruel dude. Sorry, I mean, cool, not cruel. But yeah, <laughs> you know, that was definitely not a Freudian slip. Uh but he even says he can't protect by killing. Sorry, Liren. That's literally an ideal of the Windrunners. So shut up. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, I, I love to hate him. I love to be annoyed by him because I, mm-hmm. I respect his. I respect how strong he he sets his his mind to something and how he firm, firmly believes in that. Uh, I have nothing but respect for people like for the fact that he can just stay so grounded, but. At a certain yeah, point, you, at a certain point, you gotta move. At a certain point, with with like an idea, and that's you where take he, the next step. He's got to take the next step, and that'd be that's where he's like kind of annoying, especially mm-hmm. to Kaladin, who just wants his adoration. He just wants his father to be proud of him at the same time, and he's just not gonna get it if he if he murders if he takes the life of of anyone. Mm-hmm. And what was the what was that ideal he swears at the end of Rhythm of War? What? I will accept that there are those I cannot save, or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. It's about Tien. It's, and Tuft. And oh, 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 oh buddy. I mean, yeah. I might as well jump into chapter eleven. Now. Yeah, should we start oh it there? Should we God. start there? It's so good. I didn't realize. I didn't. I didn't remember that was Tuft. You, I did not realize That's he crazy. was the first Tuft Bridgman. The first Bridgman. He goes, "What's your name?" The guy. He's like, "Storm off, dude." And it's fucking Tuft. It's fucking Taft, oh, man. This poor, this poor man. This poor man. But you know what? It's sad. obviously it's sad knowing where Tef ends up. But it really is the journey before the destination. Like we're just, oh my God. we're just happy that like he just became a better person. Became a mm-hmm. better person. I cannot wait for Dalinar to say "journey before destination" radiant in book three, because I'm just never gonna stop saying it after we can finally say that. Yeah, and that brings up what I mentioned. Uh, life before death come on betsy dude but here's the thing here's the thing kaladin never swear never says the first ideal out loud but that scene is the first ideal and i never understood that until like i I just i had it written down and i'm like i was speaking it out to you guys and i go oh shit he chose life over death that was literally it it was incredible I, I thought that was very clever on uh, Brando Sandoz's part. And so, because he doesn't that. ever say it, right? He never, he, he never, never actually says, it, says it. He never, actually, he never says it. I actually, I, I like literally just looked it up too, and people are saying the same thing. Like, there's some debate on when it could have happened, but I, I think it's very clear that that was the moment where the the ideal was internalized, at least for him. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. You know, if you even look at the Reddit and somebody asks that question and people are like, yeah, it's when he's standing at the edge of the chasm and mm-hmm. doesn't jump. That's it. That's him. St- that's him agreeing to not choose death. And, you know, I wouldn't have blamed him knowing what he's been going through. I really wouldn't. I could get that no, no, for sure. That's what I was saying is that it's just like really a thin line of the whole nothing matters thing. Like in one in one way, like. You can see him just giving up. In another way, you can see him just being like, well, if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter if we keep moving either, right? We will lose people, but it doesn't matter. So I'll keep moving forward. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad he made that decision. And it was really all thanks to Syl. 
coming back, almost losing herself and coming back. Very awesome. Can't read the heaviest leaf known to Spren. Do you think that, so Syl is attracted to Kaladin's honor, right? Mm -hmm. And he has displayed this from a really young age because she's been around for a while. She says she's been like watching him. Is it is it self preservation for Syl to try and stay on this side of the side of the cognitive realm, you know, this the physical realm, to be around Kaladin? You know, that's a really good question. Like, because if she goes back to Shadesmar, does she get her memories back? That, yeah, uh, and also, like, yeah, she's she's one of the few where, where she comes over to the physical realm and she's like really like almost I wouldn't want to say ditzy, but just doesn't really know everything that's happening. I don't. I can't think of an, any other spread where this has happened to. Like when we get when we first get Windell or or um, uh, Lift Spren, he seems fine, but we don't know how long he's been with Lift. It's which is true. Very but, true. But yeah, it's just weird that she just loses like all of her memories and slowly recovers them over the next couple of books. Well, she's one of the oldest Honor Spren, so that must be a reason. She's like one of the first born from honor gotcha. directly and that's why they care so much about it. it's why they call her ancient daughter so maybe it's because her memories are so freaking many of them that it just gets compartmentalized when exactly. you try to come over and i know she needs the bond to be cognitive in the physical realm it's the only way for her to bridge her mind from the cog realm to the physical realm is use the not using the nahel bond so that must be a piece of it yeah not sure for the rest of it. We'll get there, but like, imagine if Kaladin like actually jumped here and just like that's the end of the book. <laughs> like, and it's just over. Just roll credits. I could, I could see like, I could see someone making that like edit of just him falling, and then like the oh Kirby, the Kirby enthusiasm music comes in, <laughs> <laughs> and just like the end. Oh no! That'd oh my so goodness! Funnel. But dude, humble beginnings for Bridge Four, which is about to form. Oh. The, I have that note. I yeah, have that note. The life Bridge he's about four. to bring to them. They're literally all about to be reborn. They've given up on everything. And it all starts with them just saying his name, saying their own names. And that's where it begins. It's just a really, really awesome on a reread to see how low they were before they mm-hmm. were brought back. He literally looks at them and like describes them as dead. He fully describes them as just dead people walking yeah the one guy who's just laying on his back in the rain and not even closing his eyes like what the hell is that <laughs> dude it just, like this is this uh, little passage he clutched these names repeating each one in his head holding them like precious gemstones the names mattered the men mattered is so good this, so Kaladin, man. I'm not, I'm not lying when i say this chapter really pulled me in and i was i was so hooked after this I think this was the chapter that hooked me in the first time in as well. Yeah. I must say. You know, it's thinking it's interesting, sorry, too, because reading through this chapter, there's a lot of other foreshadowing we get. I, I, wait, know, can I take a guess at what you're about to bring oh, up? Oh, yeah, is yeah, it, yeah. Is please, it, please, please, is please. Is it uh, the he will protect them part? Because it kind of foreshadows his for his second ideal. He was close to it at that po- moment. I will protect those that cannot protect themselves. Because yes. he literally yeah. thinks, I will protect them. I did think that, but no, it's not what I'm thinking of. What other men with hearts like blackened coals, adoring them. 
the only person that we know he adored was Amaram. And we know what happens to Amaram with Yelignar, Blightwind. He's, he swallows it and it becomes like he that takes monster. over his heart. Blackened coals. Do you really think that was, that was deep? That's I don't know. Deep... It's a deep. Brandon thought this shit through That's going... years ago. For those who don't know, so... that's a deep cut to Amaram becoming like this like crazy creature in uh, in Oathbringer. What do you mean that? Well, that's not a deep cut. That's like he's like the big bat at the end of yeah. book three. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty amazing if that was. Yeah, I, that stuck out to me. I was like, well, who did he admire? Amaram. Amaram. And Amaram literally dies while his heart is black as coals. So, who knows? Who knows? R.I.P. Amaram and Leatherface. Oh. oh, true, true. R.I.P. Leatherface man. That one's that one hurts. Um, I don't think I'll ever get over that one. No, no, me neither. I already, I'm scheduled the tattoo. <laughs> so, do you have any other uh, any other things you want to add for uh, eleven? No, I think that's it for me. What an end to part one. Great great end to part one. And um, after this, we're going into uh, the interludes. I Ooh, actually, We are going to have some spoiler chat. Yeah, I think we actually have to do some research on this one because there's a lot we got to talk about on that one. It's a lot, of, specu- first a lot of speculation. Alone. It's the first one, yeah. It's first what do you one. mean? There's no speculation. We know why they were there. We, yeah, we know why they're there. We don't know how. We don't know what their story is at that point. We don't even know who they are <laughs> when we first read this. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Uh, but we'll leave, uh, leave you guys there, Kremlings. This is a wrap. As always, special thank you to Jake Samuels for composing our intro and outro music. And thank you to the friends and family for being one of our first listeners and always being here for us and giving us great feedback. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is highlyinvestedpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, Kremlings. Kremlings.